chapter 10, continuing our uh, study in the book of Hebrews. We got partway to chapter 10 last week, and we're going to jump a little further in this week. I titled today's sermon, Unprecedented Access to God. Unprecedented Access to God. And we'll see why as we get into this passage in just a few moments. But we're going to start today with point number one, a completed sacrifice. A completed sacrifice. Notice what it says in chapter 10 and starting in verse 11. Paul, as we've seen throughout this entire book, has, has repeated themes. He keeps going back and presenting them again, each time just slightly differently, but presenting these different themes about the superiority of Christ, the superiority of the heavenly tabernacle, the superiority of the sacrifice, all these different things. And we're going to see that theme again here as we jump into verse 11. It says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He says the priest stands ministering daily. His work is never done. Day after day, offering after offering, the priest continues to work. He never sits down. We mentioned before there, there was no place in the tabernacle for the priest to actually sit because his work was never done. He was always busy offering sacrifice on behalf of himself and behalf of the people. He offers the same sacrifice again and again with the same result, which can never take away sins. See, Paul is continuing his idea trying to show us the superiority of the new covenant. The old covenant <coughs> grounded in sacrifice day after day after day simply offered a temporary covering of sin. It did not take away sin. And Paul, again, is trying to emphasize the fact that that old covenant could not take away sin. It could not. Remember, verse 4 says, it is, in, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. It's an impossibility. It cannot happen. The sacrifice of animals for sin was simply a temporary covering pointing to a future sacrifice, and that would be that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we read here in this passage, uh, every priest standeth daily ministering, let us also remember that Jesus Christ is seated, the work complete, at the right hand of God the Father. See, there's a huge difference between the two sacrifices. The one is a sacrifice never completed, never having the capability of taking away sin. The other sacrifice, on the other hand, Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross of Calvary. His sacrifice was complete. Complete. And folks, that is huge for us today. Because verse 12 says this, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. See, folks, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the world. It was sufficient. He doesn't need to offer it again. When he went to that cross, he took 
on himself the sins of the world. All of them. And the work is complete. Turn over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and starting in verse 4. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, folks, I see in this passage another set of verses that speak to the issue that Christ's shed blood on the cross of Calvary was not just sufficient to take away sin, but it was sufficient to take away the sin of everyone. Everyone. Notice what it says. It says the iniquity of us all. Not just some. Not just part. Not just an elect. All. Every one of us. His blood was sufficient. If you turn over to Mark in the, in the New Testament, just slip over to, to Mark for just a second. Mark chapter 16. And notice what it says uh, starting in verse 19. It says, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and what? And sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere the Lord, working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. See, the work is done. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father because the work of redemption is complete. It's complete, and that's important for us to understand. From, from Christ's superior sacrifice, we, we then see the expectation of a perfect reign one day. Notice what it says in verse 13, going back to our passage. It says, from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. See, with the, with, the, with the perfect and completed sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now there is an expectation of a day in which Jesus Christ will reign and will make all of his enemies his footstool. Turn with me to Revelation. Revelation 11, and starting in verse 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I love that verse. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And hast reigned. See, folks, the, the, the completed superior sacrifice of Jesus Christ leads to, to a, a time frame in which all of his enemies are made his footstool. Let me just read you one verse from Psalm, Psalm 97. Psalm 97 in verse 5. Uh, Psalm 97 verse 5 says, uh, The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord, 
of the whole earth. That's Psalm 97 and verse 5. And Psalm 99 and verse 5 says this, Exalt ye the Lord our God, and worship where? At his footstool, <laughs> for he is holy. For he is holy. So this, 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 this completed sacrifice, this work of redemption, now ushers in, in the future, a time when Jesus Christ uh, will reign. But the key is that the sacrifice is complete. Well, with that thought in mind, let's move to point number two today, and that's a perfect redemption. A perfect redemption. Continuing on in our passage here, verse 14, he says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. By one offering. This one offering was sufficient for our redemption. And notice that it says, He has perfected forever the sanctified. Those that have trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified. The word means to be set apart, to be made holy. Now this is interesting because in this passage, even though we haven't attained a glorified body yet, that will come one day, the work of Jesus Christ is perfected. In other words, God sees us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The work is done. The work is done. My salvation is complete. When I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, I don't have my glorified body yet, but my salvation, my redemption is complete. It is done because of the work of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and the word perfected there means made complete, working through the entire process to reach a final phase. What's that final phase? That final phase is where we get our glorified body. Though Once I trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I begin a process in my life. Now, we don't use a lot of big terms, but the process is sanctification. In other words, that's me becoming more like Christ. That's what's supposed to be happening in my life. I am supposed to be learning, growing, maturing in my faith, working towards becoming more like Christ. Am I going to attain that on this earth? Not a chance. Never going to happen. But I should be working towards it. And then there comes a point at which I get my glorified body. But God views Christ's work as complete now. Not when I receive my glorified body. That's not when the work is complete. The work is complete now. Jesus Christ's blood was shed and it's paid the price now. God sees me through the lens of the shed blood of Jesus Christ because it brought about a perfect redemption. A perfect redemption. Notice verse 15. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting in this passage. Because in this passage, from verse 9 to verse 15 you see the complete trinity mentioned. In verse 9, in verse 9, you have God's will. In verse 12, you have the work of Christ. And now in verse 15, you see the witness of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it beautiful how God put his word together so that even in just a totally separate issue, we're not talking about the right now we're talking about this perfect redemption but within that discussion of the perfect redemption we see 
the teaching of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how God put this together. The work of the Holy Spirit. It's a witness of the Spirit. He's a witness where? He's a witness to us. He's a witness to us what? That the work is complete. The new covenant with Christ includes its promises and privileges. We get those. I've sat through several college graduations over at Virginia Baptist College, and when, when they, they give out the diplomas and then somebody gets up there and reads this really fancy uh, little thing that talks about the, these diplomas were granted upon the this and this and this, and it comes with all the rights and privileges that are here to whatever, you know, that they give this whole spiel, but it's all about the rights and privileges you get by having this diploma. And I think, wow, what about the rights and privileges we get because we have the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has covered our sins? How much better is that? Those rights and privileges that come with that. The Holy Spirit is a witness to us that, the, that this is something that we have attained through his shed blood. God's law will be placed in our hearts and minds. No longer a written law on tablets of stone, but God's word will be permanently printed on our hearts. We even sang about that today. He says in verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. See, God says with this new covenant, we, we move ourselves from the, from the tablets of stone that contain the law to the fact that I'm imprinting my law in your heart. In your heart. Vincent says this, he says, if the pardon is complete, there is left no place for the Levitical sacrifices under the new covenant. See, the, the, Paul has just told us that the, this sacrifice is complete. Our redemption is complete. It's done. And so if it's done, there is no longer a need for sacrifice. And as we move into the next verse, one commentator puts it this way. He says, verse 18 gives us the punchline of the entire conversation. Notice verse 18. Or verse 17, excuse me. Uh, oh, verse 17 and 18. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. See, Paul couldn't make it any clearer. He, he was talking to people that had spent their lives offering sacrifice to God for their sin, and he says, we don't need to do it anymore. It's been done. The sacrifice has been perfected. It was interesting. Wednesday night, I was standing in the foyer, and Justin had slipped in, and we were talking about Sunday, and he, we were, he just happened to mention that he was sending me the songs for today, and uh, we don't often sing outside the hymnal, but he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing his robes for mine this Sunday if it's okay. And I started laughing because I said, I just wrote a verse from that song in my sermon this morning. And the verse is this, his robes for mine, what cause have I to dread? God's daunting law, Christ mastered in my stead. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine, saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. See, folks, we stand today faultless before God if we've trusted Him as our personal Savior because we have a superior, a completed, 
a perfect redemption. And that takes us to the title of today's sermon, point three, an unprecedented access. Unprecedented access. Notice what it says. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. See, folks, we have unprecedented access to God today. And that access came, that access came by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Our entry is not something we need to fear. You know, when the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he feared. He feared. Because you know, folks, if he went into the Holy of Holies and his life was not right where, where it should be, spiritually, he would be struck down in the Holy of Holies. They tied a rope to his foot. And if they heard him not move anymore because he had been struck dead, they would pull him out of the Holy of Holies because God had killed him. Because he went in without having his sins taken care of, confessing the sins that he was supposed to confess before. It was a serious issue. So the priest went in hoping to come out at the end alive. His goal was, I'm going in, I'm going to offer sacrifice for the, my, the ignorance of my sins, the ignorance of the people's sins that we ignorantly committed, but I'm hoping I'm walking out of this room when I'm done. That's how he went in. He went in with fear and trembling. But Paul doesn't say we enter with fear and trembling because the work is complete. The work is done. Paul says we go in with boldness. Don't you think the Old Testament priests would have loved to have been able to go in with boldness? To go in knowing I can go in before God and I don't have to worry that my life is going to be taken while I'm in there? He didn't have that privilege, folks. But because of the grace of God, we have that privilege. We have the privilege to come boldly, boldly before the throne of grace, protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. Having boldness. Our present state as a believer is one of boldness due to Jesus Christ. Barnes said this, he said, Man had no offering uh, which he could bring that would make him acceptable to God. But now the way was open, access was free for all, and all might come with utmost freedom. So what was the price of that access? What gained yours and my access to come boldly to the throne of God? What gained it is what it says in verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say, his flesh. Now that verse, folks, is packed with stuff. Because we see in there a word. And the word is new. But this word new is not the normal word for new in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this word for new in the Greek is only used one place and one place only in our scriptures. And it's in this verse. And it's because it has a unique meaning. The word new here means slain 
or killed. Now, that's not the normal definition of we think of for new. It means slain or killed. So let's read that verse. By being slain and killed, we have a new way. We have a way. What's, what was slain or killed? Jesus Christ. See, it's a word that describes an act that only Jesus Christ could perform. He gave his life for your sins and mine. And the word here, when it's, it's just not some new way as opposed to the old way. It's a new way through the killing of something. And that something was Jesus Christ. So we have access to the throne. We can boldly come to the throne of Jesus Christ because he gave his life. But I want you to notice it's also a living way. Now, isn't that interesting? Because the sacrifices of the Old Testament were killing, 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 killing animals constantly. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, because he was slain for us, we now have a, not a killed way, we have a living way. We have new life. New life in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. A new and living way. Jesus Christ's blood did this for us. That was the price that was paid for our access to boldly come to the throne of grace. And then notice he says, it was consecrated for us through the veil. The word consecrate means inaugurated. It started for us through the veil. Now, folks, we know that when Jesus Christ uttered those words on the cross, it is finished. We know that God rent the veil from top to bottom. The veil was not torn from bottom to top. It was not cut apart by man. It was not disassembled. It was ripped from the top to the bottom. And that veil, folks, was thick. It was not just like a little piece of sheet or something. I mean, that veil was thick. It was heavy. And God rent it from the top to the bottom, demonstrating our access to him. But what's interesting is if you, if you study the veil, the veil was three colors. It was blue, and it was scarlet, and it was purple. Now, folks, I just want you to bear with me for a second because there's a beautiful picture here. The blue color is the color of heaven. It suggests that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. The scarlet, the scarlet reminds us that Christ was the Son of Man, the last Adam. Adam's name means red or scarlet. So you have one color represents the Son of God. One color represents the Son of Man, the blue and the scarlet. Take an equal amount of blue and scarlet and mix them together so you can't tell where one begins and one ends. And what color do you get? You get purple. You get purple. The third color in the veil. What did the veil symbolize to us? It symbolizes the fact that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, deity is perfectly blended with humanity. And humanity is perfectly blended with deity. And it's impossible to tell where one ends and one begins 
Isn't that beautiful, folks? Jesus Christ brought together heaven and earth, deity and humanity, and it was brought together through his sacrifice, pictured when the veil was ripped from top to bottom by God, a veil that was blue and scarlet and purple. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. I love what Spurgeon says here. He says, for believers, the veil is not rolled up, but rent. The veil was not unhooked and carefully folded up and put away so that it might be put in its place at some time in the future. Oh, no. But the divine hand took it and rent it from top to bottom. It can never be hung up again. That is impossible. Between those who are in Christ Jesus and the great God, there will never be another separation. Beautiful, folks. What Jesus Christ did for us. He gained us unprecedented access to the throne of God. That's what he did. And notice the last verse today, verse 20, uh, 21. And having an high priest over the house of God. We have a high priest over the house of God. And so because just like in the Old Testament times, there was a high priest over the tabernacle, Jesus Christ serves as a high priest over the house of God. What are we, folks? We're the family of God. We're the house of God. We have a high priest today who paid the price for our redemption. Clark states this. He says, Jesus instructs, he protects, he guides, he frees, he defends, and he saves the flock. That's what Jesus Christ does. And with those thoughts in mind, next week, Paul's going to start giving us some guidance on how we ought to live. Because of all this, that's what he's, he says. You notice, if your Bible has punctuation in it and having a high priest over the house of God, semicolon, there's more to come. The statement is not finished. What has Paul got to say next? Well, Paul is going to begin talking about how we should live, what our life should look like because of the fact that we have unprecedented access to God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of the message. Just powerful passage of scripture just 10 short verses here today folks but wow there is so much there listen we we have the opportunity we have the privilege that the folks in the old testament did not have not only do we get to come before the throne of god but we get to come boldly we have complete access to the throne of god because of the sacrifice of jesus christ now i don't know where everybody's at today and here but maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So you don't enjoy that access right now. You, you have never trusted Christ you're never, as your personal Savior. You never trust in the shed blood on the cross for your redemption. That's what Paul's talking about at the beginning of the day. He's talking about a, a perfect and completed sacrifice, a perfect redemption. And if that's you today, I would encourage you when the, the piano begins to play, come forward, I'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved today. But if you're, you're in here today and you've already trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you have privilege, folks. Privilege to come boldly before the throne. Let's never take that for granted. There was a huge price that was paid for that privilege. And it was mine and yours, Savior's blood 
shed on the cross of Calvary. Let's not take that for granted. Unprecedented access to God. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask Judy just play for a moment today. We'll wait for a moment. If the Lord spoke to you, maybe you need to just spend some time in prayer at the altar. We'll wait just for a moment today.